0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and this is the last episode in our Gerrymandering Oklahoma series. Over the last several weeks, we've talked to a bunch of really interesting and important people. Uh, We talked to Dr. Keith Gaddy from OU, a political scientist and someone who's arguably the most knowledgeable person in the state, um, one of the most knowledgeable in the country, about the subject of gerrymandering and redistricting. We talked to Dan Vicuña from Common Cause in California. We talked to author Dave Daly, who literally wrote the book on the subject and has another book coming out next year. And in this episode, we wanted to go back to the people, right? Back to, the, to those of us who are regular folks that are trying to fight for a better state or a better democracy. And so we're visiting with Katie Fahey from Michigan. She's a regular everyday Michigander. Who had an idea and made a Facebook post, and a couple of years later had arguably one of the most ambitious and celebrated grassroots campaigns to end gerrymandering in their state. And they did it. They amended their state constitution and virtually eliminated gerrymandering from the state of Michigan, which is enormous. I cannot tell you how huge that is. I hope you really enjoyed this interview. Katie is funny and dynamic. And has some really great lessons that I think are directly applicable to any of us who have a cause we're passionate about and who dream of a better democracy, a better America, or a better Oklahoma in our case. So let's take a quick break, and when we return, our interview with Katie Fahey. <music> On the phone, we are joined by Katie Fahey from the great state of Michigan. Hello, Katie. Hello. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. So, Katie, we're talking to you because you founded an organization called Voters Not Politicians, and we want to hear more about that in just a second, but let's start back at the beginning. Your background is not in politics, so how did you start your career?
1: Yeah, so I uh, studied sustainable business, which is basically like business but with environmental and social people teaching so they can figure out how to be good for the environment, people, and business, as well as community leadership, which is kind of like a public administration, um, uh, public service type of degree. But I actually really didn't even like politics. I always voted, especially in local elections, but started off in the grocery and recycling industry. Um, and then one day made a Facebook post that made that all change.
2: When you say grocery and recycling, like, was that two different jobs or was that in the same <laughs> capacity? Cause that's just an interesting pairing. Yeah, I no, it was
1: the same job. Um, I started at a company that owns grocery stores and distributes food and they were looking for a sustainability person. I was an, started as an intern and then, you know, looked at, how they were doing things, and one of the first programs that I implemented was around recycling because uh, they were paying a lot of money to throw stuff away when actually uh, they could be better for the environment by reducing that and uh had some materials that they could sell for recycling um so it was like a win win win
2: has there ever been a more American phrase than they spend a lot of money to throw things away <laughs> <laughs> right well it's a, you know it's astonishing, so uh, as you know andy mentioned i've I was uh, recently on vacation and I was on a train on my vacation and started talking randomly into this guy who was sitting in the train seat next to me. Um, and he had founded a company. Like he was telling me like what his job, when like he worked in and around like the oil industry, but it was like, he never said what he did. And so finally I was just like, okay, Alan, like what do you do? Like exactly. <laughs> and his like whole business is like, Environmental like cleanup of like big construction projects, mostly focused around oil. And it's just like weight, like it's waste disposal and whatnot. And apparently, he makes, I mean, the appearances are he makes a lot of money <laughs> doing that. And he started, I mean, he literally started like cleaning up trash in like a field somewhere hmm. and now has this like <laughs> giant company that takes these huge like waste. It's yeah. And I just that came to mind because yeah it's really really expensive to throw stuff away Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. it is and actually recycling comes to create more jobs as well as be better for other businesses too so there's a lot of good benefits and people in their workplaces like feeling like they're doing something that's giving back or at least being less wasteful so it's a good field to be in
0: (laughs) that's a good segue to our next question because you talked about starting something hopeful from a pile of trash So you made a Facebook post (laughs) and and that, and everything changed. Tell us, tell us what happened there.
1: Yeah. So um, I made a Facebook post that I was not expecting would be anything more than just like, Hey, here's my thoughts for today. Uh, That said, um, I'd like to take on gerrymandering in Michigan. If you're interested in doing this as well, please let me know. Smiley face. Um, And I like I said, didn't really love politics, but pay attention to the local elections. I always wanted to talk about the systems and what's wrong and why it's wrong and how do we solve it and uh and this Facebook post all of a sudden started getting liked and shared and this is in the morning, I go to work and I start getting all these private messages being like, Hey Katie, uh I've always wanted to end gerrymandering too, let me know what the plan is. Uh I'm here for it from strangers, people I did not know. And it turns out that my Facebook post had gotten shared in a lot of different uh, political groups that had started up around the 2016 election. And all of a sudden, I was being uh, friends with a bunch of people i never met before on the internet who all wanted to end gerrymandering. Um, And so we made a Facebook group that said uh, that was Michiganders for Nonpartisan Redistricting Reform, which is not a very catchy title, (laughs) uh, and started organizing from there.
2: I first, I love that you guys are called Michiganders. That um, that makes me happy. Um, it's more catchy than Oklahomans, I think. Um, but one of the thing that you that kind of strikes me is you said you were never really like into politics, you know, voting in, like in local elections and whatnot. But you felt like that gerrymandering was a huge problem, and that seems to me like, like most of the people I run into who care a lot about gerry- gerrymandering are political like nerdy junkies like myself. So how did you get to care? About gerrymandering, but also not being like super into politics. Like how do how did those dovetail?
1: Yeah, well, I think this might sound like a little millennial of me, but the part of politics I really don't like is the party part. Like I've never been a big fan of like okay, we're a party and we tell you how to vote and what to think, so like fall in line. Mm -hmm. It's just always been very unappealing to me. But I still have always really cared about the role that government plays, which I separate from politics, even though they're intertwined too. Um And I remember learning about gerrymandering at a couple different points in my life, never thinking I would actually do anything about it. But, like, in elementary school, I remember learning about um you're like learning about the political or the American Revolution and like how we were this country trying to stand for this crazy idea of like being for and by the people and then you shortly learn right after about gerrymandering. It's kind of like a side note, but I have this distinct memory of saying like, wait, if we know that that's like wrong, then why don't we do something about it? And the teacher being like, Oh that's the way it's always been uh which is never an answer I've liked hearing no. uh because I said so or if that's the way it is. Uh, and I remember learning about it again in, uh, college. Um, and I think I always knew it was a problem. So it really bugged me in Michigan. We're one of the worst gerrymandered States in the country. Um, and we're a very purple state. So we're a Democrat and a Republican state. And depending who happens to be in power right before the redistricting process, Democrats and Republicans have both manipulated the system to like put their will above the voters. Uh, and that was sometimes highlighted in local news and stuff, too. But I think it just always stood out to me as one of those things where it was like, if we know this is so wrong, why don't we fix it?
2: So you make this Facebook post, and it gets shared a bunch of times, and all these people that you don't know are messaging you, and you make a group, and then what happens?
1: <laughs> yeah, so then I Googled, how do you end gerrymandering? <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: that is very it millennial. Is not like I, I do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, a Galapedia, super helpful. Um and uh And so we started organizing. I thought about what I thought political campaigns included. Uh, We had a bunch of people telling us what their skills were and why they were deciding to sign up. And so when I was looking at that, I was like, oh my gosh, there are some really amazing people who all care about gerrymandering, from people who were jazzercise instructors to people who had been vice presidents of Ford Motor Company. And I was like, if we can only get a couple of hours from each of these people, how do we use that most wisely? So we came up with like a fundraising committee and a policy committee and an education committee and a outreach and partnership committee. And wherever your skills lined up, we kind of brought people together and then we talked about our plan of what do we need to accomplish together and who helps do what part. One of the first earliest things we had to do, though, was figure out which way do we want to end gerrymandering. In Michigan, we have the Citizen ballot Ad- Initiative. where. a the citizens of Michigan write constitutional language, gather a bunch of signatures, then they can put something on the ballot for the general public to vote on. But we also could have tried to bring a lawsuit saying that the existing maps were drawn illegally, or we could have tried to work with our legislature to change it. But pretty quickly, we saw after doing some research that over the decades, many politicians had started trying to fix this problem, but it was never with bipartisan support. And it was, you know, the Democrats trying to do it while Republicans were in charge and Republicans trying to do it while Democrats were in charge. So we saw that there probably wasn't a quick way to actually work with the people who are supposed to write these policies.
0: Yeah. So you realize that if you're going to change the system, you might have to go outside the system to make it happen.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: So you get all these people together, you start a campaign. Uh, I read the cheat sheet, and so I know that you went with a uh, a um, a citizen ballot proposal where you gathered a whole bunch of signatures, right? And it was like what you you needed three hundred and fifteen thousand, and you got like four hundred and twenty five thousand, and you did it with like two months to spare and in, in your deadline, something like that.
1: Yeah, 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 nice homework reading. Um, 315,654 registered Michigan voter signatures in 180 days. And when I Googled how many people even lived in the city I lived in, that was like only 200,000 people. And when I broke it down, it was like, okay, so if I quit my day job and do this all myself, I'll need to gather over 3,000 a day by myself. Um, and quickly saw that that would be a big feat, but um, we were able to actually – Get over four hundred and yeah twenty eight thousand signatures in one hundred and ten days because I, I really think about how we wrote um, our policy when we were trying to figure out what does this solution look like. We actually toured across our entire state, going to each congressional district at least twice, asking the people on the ground what they thought was a good solution. Who should draw these lines once every ten years? How should those lines be drawn? What do you want representation to look like? And what should be the process that's followed? And we had people from every single county in our state really being like, I am tired of this. I feel like no matter who I vote for, it doesn't ever add up to actual change or somebody looking out for me. And I want to help make this happen. And we were able to do that. And the other really cool thing, I think, is we got signatures from all 83 counties to put that on the ballot, too, which is pretty rare to happen. I think we might have been the first campaign ever to get people from all across Michigan to sign something to put on the ballot.
0: Yeah, that's super rad. I want to just pause for a second um, to talk about us, honestly. But I, before we started recording, I told you that um, you and I have some similarities in our story. Our organization, Let's, Let's Fix This, started because I made a Facebook post and just invited my friends to go to the Capitol because we had a big budget shortfall. And I was like, we should go up there and, you know, talk to our legislators. And I didn't know who the legislators were. I'd never been to the Capitol, even though I live right by it. And the next morning I woke up to a phone full of notifications from a whole bunch of like thousands of strangers that were like, yeah, that's great. I want to go with you. And I had to figure out like, okay, well now where do we go? And how do we get it? Where's the door? And like, what room do we go to? And that's actually how Scott and I met is through this process. So how um, do you reserve the blue? That's world? awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, so a lot of your story, I'm I'm nodding yeah. as we're talking of like, oh yeah, I remember like it. it's, uh, it exciting Uh, terrifying experience of just like you realize how much you don't know all of a sudden and you have to figure things out and I'm super impressed with the fact that you guys organized into like committees and we kind of had a singular focus of just going to the Capitol and it has since grown over the last three years but um, to hear how voters not politicians had um, a focus in in, you know, changing the fundamental structure of democracy in your state. And I think I've heard you say that you were going to peacefully overthrow the government. Um, and I really like that. <laughs> and so I think that um, the way you guys got organized and then not just got organized, but found ways to connect with with the public throughout the state. Um, and I think to me, that's one of the yeah, things. Yeah, I
1: don't know if this was a similar experience for you, but what surprised me the most, especially in the beginning is just seeing how many people did already also care about this like I did and who were also really, really concerned. And it seemed like all of us had kind of been waiting for like, okay, well, but what do we do about it? Or how do we go do something and be able to finally find each other and even just being able to invite people into the process ended up being one of the huge ways we were successful because there's just not a lot of people saying, Hey, do you want to be a part of the solution?
0: Yeah. Well, and like Scott said, I don't think any of us would have guessed that gerrymandering would be the unifying message that people were dying to get involved with. <laughs>
1: right.
2: Right. So you, you get your signatures, it gets on the ballot, you survive a couple of legal challenges from uh, the the people with a lot of cash. Um, and this is going to be voted on and it was voted on, I think in 2018, right? Is that, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah. what happened?
1: Yes. So we had an amazing result of 61% uh, of the voters voted yes on Proposal 2, which was our proposal at the time. And the other really cool thing that happened is we had – so in Michigan, our populations are only in a couple of those 83 counties that I mentioned earlier – But we won almost every county. I think we won like 66 or 68 of them, um, which is pretty uncommon to do. uh, But made me feel like we really implemented something that people, no matter where they lived, whether it was urban or rural or um, northern Michigan or southern Michigan, really wanted. And the important part of that is any solution to gerrymandering means that instead of a small group of people, once every 10 years going behind closed doors and making these really important decisions, you're opening up that process to a lot more people having a say. And seeing so many people across our state say, yes, I wanna try this new way, gives me a lot of hope for a lot of people participating in this process, which they now can for the very first time.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we've been doing this series about gerrymandering, and we've talked to folks from across the country Uh, about the issue and how it's done in other states and you know i think there's roughly 14 states now that have some kind of independent commission like system and people are like well what's Mm -hmm. the gold standard i was like there's there's 14 different ways to do it because it's the doesn't it's not a one-size-fits-all thing for each state and and depending on if their process allows for initiative petition or if it has to go through the legislature or what that is but I think they all boil down to one thing, right? That the way that it's been done where politicians pick their own voters, anything besides that is got to be better, right? (laughs) Like that's the way that's anything besides the foxes guarding the hen house is going to be um, a fundamentally better system. And there's just degrees of betterness, I think from there.
2: Yeah. There's
1: a huge conflict of interest with the way that it's done right now. And The thing that really stuck out to me was, you know, I knew that, but then once I started getting into it and even just doing more research on the conversations that happen right now between elected officials around these decisions, instead of looking at the people of the state as people, as constituents, as people who live in communities that have schools and water and roads that, like, they're depending on their officials to be able to have a functioning government to continue to, like, provide those services... Instead of looking at people like that, they're literally just trying to guess if somebody votes Democrat or Republican to figure out if they want their votes to count more than other people's or less than other people's. Or they're looking at them as, will they vote for me over the person who's running against me. And there's just something that feels inherently wrong about that and out of touch with the country that we have and the country that we live in, the, the foundation that we have in a Democratic Republic. And I think that's actually another reason for why solutions coming from the people of the state is even more important so that it can stay about that thing of how do we actually have a representative government where these lines are drawn to represent us, the people.
0: Yeah. So um, I think we wanted to like have a chance to reflect back on your campaign and, and find out out of all of the stuff that you did, Scott's looking at me funny, no, okay. Um, Thinking about all the stuff that you did um, during the campaign, what was the most, the most challenging aspect of of the campaign?
1: That's a great question, and there are probably a couple. Um, One was I didn't anticipate how hard working in the political process it would be as somebody who was just a regular person who hadn't done political campaigns before. Mm -hmm. Uh, just like any industry who you know um, helps out a lot. And even just being able to try and turn in paperwork and have somebody respond to it because nobody knew who we were because we were just regular folks, um, we got paid less attention to. And that was really shocking and, in the beginning, pretty disheartening.
2: The other part of that,
1: too, is when our opposition started, they treated us as if we were in politics all the time, which is just eye-opening. You know, you hear about things like, fake news or you hear about things like um, uh, things not being written in a truthful manner or, uh, you know, the the lengths people will go to try and discredit somebody. And that was starting to happen to us. All of us, uh, you know, on top of our day jobs, dropping kids off at um, school and all of that, thinking and h- working as hard as we could to do something that we saw was good for our state and then having like false, ads written about us or put into the newspaper or I was sitting on a panel uh, with somebody who said that the Facebook post was a hoax and it's just so <laughs> like, bizarre like, it's such no. a bizarre place to be because you're like what I
2: I I was I was there when I wrote it though right. <laughs> like, like it, it exactly. wasn't <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't the deep state like I I wrote it I if yeah, one
1: of the articles that I had like worked on like, three national political campaigns, and I was like, no, I don't. And then we had all this secret money. I'm like, we have no money. Literally, we don't even have a bank account yet. It was so eye-opening, though, because you always hear about that kind of stuff happening, and then being the one who's in that position, I think it was probably one of the biggest adjustments for me um, and for our team, too, to figure out what is the right way to navigate this, too. And honestly, the right way was just by calling it out for what it was and saying like, this is the world we live in. And like when somebody says something to lie, like directly being like it, it it isn't actually. And here's this and here's that or like, you know, of course the people who are currently drawing the lines are going to say something like that. Right. Being able to call that out from a perspective that was just looking out for the people of Michigan was really powerful. Um, but man, it took some adjustment <laughs> to to be in that all the time.
0: You know, I've in talking about this issue. I've, it's occurred to me that it's not, it's not a partisan issue. It's a power issue, right? Like people will make it partisan. And you know, I I assume Republicans in Oklahoma would hate the idea of an independent commission, Republican legislators, right. For the same reason that democratic Uh legislators in Illinois would hate it because they're the party that happens to be in power right now. But I think like Michigan, you know, like in our state, we know that um, over the last 40 years, both parties have tried to, change it but they always did it when they were in the minority and that bill went nowhere regardless of who filed it uh, and so yeah I think recognizing that whenever you try to upset the power the balance of power in government um, and you know like in this situation you're taking power away from the legislators and giving it to the people and no one gives up their power willingly right and so they're gonna right. they're gonna um uh, be contrarian and and pull out whatever stops they can to try to prevent that, but that doesn't mean that you should give up <laughs> at some point you should right
1: completely completely, yeah, and there's a lot of power for being able to still show up and to show how many people really do care about this, and that's one thing that we definitely saw throughout um the campaign and honestly, another thing that was just surprising is um you know both both parties were not thrilled about this solution because it really was cutting out their role that they currently have. And um, even people in the minority party might be in a gerrymandered safe seat though, Mm -hmm. um, where they're guaranteed that a Democrat or a Republican is going to win that seat probably no matter what. Uh, And that was, it was just interesting. It was very interesting being able to see all the different angles of it up close. Well,
2: because when you look at gerrymandering and places where it's, you know, it's been done away with and you have like independent, you know, redistricting commissions or citizen led commissions, what happens is there's, there does tend to be a shift, right, in, in terms of how many seats each party gets, depending on how gerrymandered the state was and who was in power. But the other thing I think that happens more universally is that elections become more competitive, right? Like, like that, like to me, that's one of the big things that is, seems really positive in states that have done away with this, is that you don't have these districts anymore where it's 95-5, right? Or, you know, Mm 80-20 or whatever. You have a lot more districts where it's 55-45 or, you know, 60-40 or 51-49. And, that changes, I think, not only the way that people have to campaign, but it also changes the way that they govern, which is Governed. Yeah, yeah.
1: And they've also shown that um, even if the party that has that seat doesn't change, that you see a lot of newer people being elected into office because the incumbents who have lived there and then Try and make the seat safe from themselves, even from the opposition in the primary from their own party. So like if you and I run the same party, but I was in office and you're running against me and I know where your address is, I can draw you out of my district. Literally, if I'm scared that you're going to beat me. And so what they've seen is like younger people being able to get into politics and more diverse people and just newer people um, when they've seen those changes, because the incumbents no longer are literally looking out for who are my voters going to be.
0: Right. So um, to pivot a little bit from challenges, what was the most fun part of the campaign for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was the people part. Um, when I was making that Facebook post, you know, I I was kind of at a break in, breaking point. In Michigan, we have the Flint water crisis, um, which had led to a city's water source being poisoned with lead, And that was actually related to a decision that the people of Michigan tried to overturn. And then our government reinstated, probably because they were gerrymandered in and being unafraid to uh, go against what the people of our state wanted. And I was just like, I can't live in a state like this anymore, where I know that until we fix this, another Flint could happen again. Mm -hmm. And um, then I started seeing all these people respond and then I saw how willing, even though most of us had no idea who the other person was, how willing people were to fight for making our state better and a more fair place for anybody, regardless of who they voted for. Um, people would donate their time and their energy and their money and their creativity. We had people make quilts that helped educate about gerrymandering and come up with songs. We learned that independent citizens redistricting commission is the same number of syllables as super tele <laughs> all because we had an amazing volunteer who figured that out um, and willing to cut clipboards and go and talk to their neighbors about civics. Like they would hang out at rest stops on Thanksgiving because it's the busiest travel day of the year in Michigan and talk to their neighbors about gerrymandering and how and what it meant for them. Um, just because they saw that nobody else was going to do it for us. And that was just inspiring. It reminded me a lot of what back in fourth grade or whatever grade it was when I was first learning about our country and then immediately learning about gerrymandering, what I had thought and felt like our country could be, um, And to see that community, to see how much people really were just trying to fix it for everybody for decades to come into the future too, so that we could start trusting our government again was just really inspiring and um, I'll never forget it.
0: That's, that's amazing. If you, this is our last question, I think. If you were going to go and start all over, is there anything you would do differently? And if so, what would that be?
1: Yeah, well, when we were first starting, like nobody really would take us seriously or help. Um, and I don't blame them because they're like you're a group of people that met online and are trying to amend the constitution to entering Andering. It is a <laughs> um it is maybe skeptical sounding, but that really stuck with me. And part of what I'm doing now is with a group called the People, but it's trying to take the lessons that we learned um from voters, not politicians, and just help other people who are working in redistricting campaigns or any campaign, not have to recreate the wheel and start from scratch every single time. Like one of the things we started with was like a Google spreadsheet, which is like a spreadsheet that's online that uh, anyone can edit that people just started writing over each other's names. Like that kind of simple stuff of like, oh, one day we will need – to be able to manage all the email lists that we have. Because we were starting from scratch, it was just kind of a like build as you go. And I really think that if we would have invested sooner and what does that kind of management system look like or how can we make sure we're thinking about how we're saving our data, which is like kind of a weird answer probably to your question. But honestly, those basics of... How are we going to keep people organized, knowing that we will need to grow to be successful? What do we do right now to make sure that anybody, when they're ready to step up and volunteer, we have something for them to do right away? Because people feel the urgency and they want to get plugged in, but if they're not hearing back for like two or three months on how to get (laughs) plugged in, then they're going to get frustrated or do something else. So anybody who's starting that, I think that's what we would have hopefully somehow known to do differently or earlier.
2: That does not sound weird at all. That makes perfect sense, I, I would say.
1: Okay, so yeah. Scott and I are,
0: we are perpetually, uh, and Scott's the, uh, on the board for Let's Fix This, but he and I both are kind of tech nerds as well, one of the many kinds of nerds we are. And so we're constantly trying out new apps to see if it does something just incrementally better. And then if so, can we scale this to use it for, you know, managing... Uh, voter turnout data for the whole state or something so um, yeah Yeah. trying to find those right tools is a big deal
1: it is especially when you know you have a lot of people who want to participate it's uh, and technology opens up so much especially with connecting people's skills and what they want to do and how much time they have once we figured that out that's how we were able to get you know 10,000 active day-to-day volunteers Um, but because they each had their own way that they were contributing that helped us build something from a Facebook post to a, a successful
0: campaign. That's really amazing. That is amazing. Um, well, Katie, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us, uh, and kind of <laughs> walk us through, um, a, a very short version of what I can only imagine was an amazing experience, uh, and campaign, uh, up there and, and you guys won. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, you started online and then you ended up amending the state constitution Uh, and making a better democracy from it. So, well done. Yes,
1: and I feel like we need to start a club of people who make Facebook posts that lead to changing stuff.
0: I I will found that Facebook group with you. (laughs) Okay,
1: (laughs) that's good. You all heard it here first.
2: (laughs) Katie, thank you so much for your time, and uh, great work in Michigan.
1: Yes, thank you guys, and keep up the good work in Oklahoma.
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks again to Katie Fahey for joining us. This concludes our Gerrymandering Oklahoma series. I hope that you've enjoyed it, and if you haven't, please go back and listen to the previous episodes in this series, as well as our Criminal Justice Reform series that we did earlier this year. Next week, we're going to take a break from our series platform, and we've got a special episode with OU athlete Peter Daggett. We're going to talk about the issue of paying collegiate athletes, uh, whether or not that's a thing that should happen. California just passed a law. I've heard it's going to be proposed in Oklahoma next year. This is a very topical thing. So join us for that. It should be a very enlightening conversation, I hope. And then after that, we will come back with our healthcare series. We're going to do three or four episodes about various aspects of the healthcare industry and its direct impact on the lives and the pocketbooks and the, you know, mental health, overall health of your fellow Oklahomans. Should be a really great series. Scott and I both with a background in healthcare. It's something that we're both very interested in and, and arguably passionate about. So hope that'll be great. Uh, on that note,
2: have a great week.